Hello everyone, welcome back to the Awesome Sauce Podcast. This would be episode 2, and this time, I've got a guest host. Stick around to find out who it is. used to that intro, the more I hear it, it's only about the millionth time I fucking heard it. Uh, episode two, and I am interviewing, uh, which name do you prefer to go by? Uh, we'll just go with, uh, Joey. I'm the roommate. Hello. Joey, my roommate. I thought you were gonna go by one of your internet handles. Nah. I've got two of those, and I use them for everything, but, you know, we're using the home as the studio as as you do for podcasts yeah oh podcasts that aren't sponsored by the way true people with sponsors usually have or can afford studios they they sure damn can uh a lot of money a lot of money come with sponsorships that we don't have yet maybe someday he shakes his fist (laughs) at the sky Yeah, this is actually a wholly new experience for me, because not only have I never been on a podcast, I rarely listen to podcasts either. You, why not? I I introduce so many to you, and you just don't pick any of them up. Eh, it's not a format that I'm super engaged with. Uh, listening to about an hour and a half, maybe at most, of a couple people talking that you like about a subject you like, that's not engaging? I mean, it is, it's just... It, it feels like... What do you want, like Q&A? Like live Q&A? Like more and more engaging? Well, that's that's the thing. It feels like... Well, it is like I'm just sitting in a room where other people are having a conversation. Hmm. That's the beauty about podcasts, though, is that you can listen to them while you do other shit that doesn't necessarily need your audio attention. You know, that's fair. Like, I always looked at podcasts like something you sat down and listened to, like an audiobook. No, nah, why you like washing the dishes or something? You don't need to be listening to the dishes. Listening to the dishes. Squeak, 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 squeak! See, this dish, this dish is dirtier because it's squeaking harder. If my dishes are making that sound at me, I think I might need an exorcist. <laughs> All right. Let's get to the subjects. Um, for today's subject, last week, <laughs> that's um, that's a mistake on my part. Um, last week I did talk about Fire Force, so I'm going to talk about Episode Three, which came out. Um, but first, I wanted to talk about One Piece. It's a uh, in property that is very near and very dear to my heart. It's one of my top three. And it's one of the anime I and my roommate, Joey here, have been going through recently, trying to catch him up since the um, studio decided to pick it back up for animation. 
Yeah, because it was one of the shows I was always interested in, and I watched some of it back at the start, but that was back during the days of the bad dubs. And uh, I ended yeah, up... Yo. God. You know, the messed up part is the four kids dub is the standard American dub, just with more censoring. The yeah. standard American dub has the same uh, dialogue and voicing. Yeah. It takes a keen eye and a ham fist to just fuck up the exact same thing but in English. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I never really got into it and now it's one of those series that like people who aren't into it are like this is the poster boy for a uh, shonen anime that have gone on too long because they keep being renewed it's 900 episodes except unlike the others that fit in that category uh no no roast to Toriyama but uh Dragon Ball uh <laughs> One Piece was always planned to be this long by Oda as far as I understand see the people who complain like that are weaker stock and we, we're going to call them in the great anime purge of 2020 ha <laughs> well point is we're about oh, we're in have we hit the 200s yet I, I honestly think we might be past the 200s. Uh, you're going to hear some clicking in the background, but that is because I am looking up where we are in One Piece exactly. Yeah, we have hit the 200s. We're somewhere near 260 from what my uh, browser history right, can tell right. me. And, of course, we are at... Well, not of course. This isn't exactly obvious if you don't meticulously memorize the episode listings, which... There's, there, it, it is. There's just too damn many. Why would you do that? It's my top three, and I haven't even done that. It's Ennie's Lobby. Yeah. Which people who are fans of One Piece, they, they know that name. Oh my god, it's the arc where Luffy gets transformations! Finally! The Shonen Circle has been complete! It's, it's one of the big pre-time skip arcs that still get talked about. Oh yeah. Along with, uh, what was the desert country called? Alabasta. Alabasta, that was it. Yep, uh, everyone liked the villains, the story, the, uh, straw hats that we gained, the backstory. Everyone who has watched One Piece and enjoyed it can unanimously say that this was one of the best arcs of the pre-time skip. Yeah, I personally, I know they're two separate arcs that are just connected very closely, but I would consider Water 7 and Annie's Lobby to be two halves of the same whole mm -hmm. because it centers around Robin's uh, relationship with the government and with the Straw Hats. Mm -hmm. And uh, altogether, it just immediately displays all of the best qualities of One Piece. The great character writing, the interesting locations and situations they get put through, the quality of fight scenes when uh, Oda decides to really get creative. But back in a day when fight scenes weren't that, uh, they were good. Let's 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 not diss the '90s on their fight scenes. But compared to now, of course, always moving forward with better technology and better technique, it you can always look in the past and say, "Ooh, that was cringy." That's an interesting thing, too, because one of the complaints I've heard from a few longtime fans is that as the story has progressed, the fights have become more shonen, mm -hmm. and therefore less 
complex. Oh man, like the z- I, I if I hope I'm pronouncing this right, uh, Zoo Arc. I don't think there's really any way to more way to pronounce it. The Zoo Arc, and then followed by the Wano Arc, gets very like I said. They they picked up the animation again, and it gets very very shonen. There's a part where um Zoro is alone in a like like a gambling hut and basically shenanigans start to not spoil any too too much it's a a bit important to his character growth i think but um he ends up twistering the whole house apart with like 30 guards inside and the artwork is very beautiful but you can just tell like this was done for the sake of shonen yeah like um well, how much are we worried about spoilers here? Um, we've said the word like twice, so whoever um whoever, whoever we, is of my listeners, they've they've had two warnings that we're about to go into that territory. Okay, so, so I haven't seen it myself, but a very legendary and relatively recent fight was Luffy versus Katakuri. Mm-hmm. The animation was astonishing. Mm-hmm. Their powers are very similar, so Mochi it's a man. very fun matchup. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, the determining factor after they spend, what, like eight episodes just slugging each other in the face to no effect? Yeah, Luffy just getting the fuck back up but not being able to really damage the uh, Katakuri. But he can't really damage Luffy because he's a rubber man and fl- uh, blunt impact you know, that's been established since before the time skip. Getting punched in the face just doesn't work as well against Luffy. Mm-hmm. The deciding factor of the fight is that Luffy develops Gear 4 Snake Man, which allows him to punch really, really hard. <laughs> and that's what lets him win. I, I, Versus things like, like when he's fighting Crocodile, he gets leveled the first time because he doesn't know what he's up against. Mm-hmm. But he takes note of the fact that the water from the barrel lets him grab hold of Crocodile, and he takes that into account for the next fight. He makes a water spray gun to coat himself, mm-hmm. and he's doing... he's He does everything from spraying himself down so that his fists are wet, to drinking the water, to spit water bubbles at him, to just spraying it at him like a hose... And the big shonen moment is the third fight between them, where Luffy's battered from the previous two losses to Crocodile, and he says, fuck it, the blood on my knuckles is good enough. Yeah. That, um, that, that was good development, but, um, I'd, because you haven't actually watched that, uh, arc you were talking about in order, I think you might be glossing over, um, the... The hockey aspect. Uh, Katakuri had a has a hockey. I it has been a while since I've seen that fight. So I, I can't remember the exact terminology because I'm thinking Fire Force because I've just watched that. Um, his hockey allows him to see partially into the future when it comes to predicting fights or fighting moves. So it's an advanced version of uh, the red one. Uh, yes. What's, what's That's exactly called? what it is. What's, uh, what's the name for red? Uh, Conqueror's Hockey? No, Conqueror's is white. 
Hockey of the Kings? Something like that. I think that one's... Or Observant Hockey. There we go. Observation Hockey. That's it. That's red. Yeah. So, um, it's that powered up, and <clears throat> Luffy keeps swinging, and it's not the fact that Katakuri can turn his body into basically Excuse mochi me. and make a hole in his body that Luffy just punches through and misses entirely. It's he's doing that because he can see the actions that Luffy is thinking of as Luffy is thinking of. Like, Luffy's like, okay, I'm about to throw a right punch and then a left kick. And then is like, okay, I'm going to dodge left and jump. And, and then Luffy does it, and Katakuri already has that play. And then during the fight, Luffy gets battered to a point where he somewhat establishes that himself. And then the fight is even. And then that's when he, you know, defeats Katakuri. Hmm... Just because you're watching the um the, the shonen only and not this the story as you go, I think you might have missed that. Maybe. Because that's one of the fights I've seen, like, the clips of, but I haven't, you know, watched up that far, hence catching me up. We're on Annie's Lobby. Right. And Annie's Lobby is where they first start with the shonen power scaling because Luffy develops Gear 2 here. Mm-hmm. And... Luffy's monster strength against Rob Lucci turned out to just not be enough. Now he actively needs technique. Yeah, and even though it's technically one of the shonen transformation power-ups, I still think Gear 2 falls squarely into Luffy's development being how cleverly he uses his power. Like, sure, my blood's flowing faster so I can do things faster and harder is obviously shonen bullshit. Yeah. But... I'm going to use my rubber man powers to expand and contract my legs to force my blood to flow faster is just the kind of clever thing Luffy comes up with. Yeah, that that's that's something that you would have that's that's something that someone would have to think of after years and years of observing his own body in comparison to a big change that happened like very yeah. short in his life. Yeah. It's not like, again, no roast to Toriyama, going Super Saiyan, and the only change is, you're exactly the same, but stronger. Uh, Krillin! <laughs> Krillin got so much shit he didn't deserve, but that's a different episode. He, he got horned, floated, psychic exploded, didn't mean Bro, to rhyme. the Frieza fight alone, he got so much shit he didn't deserve. But again, that's a different episode of Awesome Sauce. Uh, Alright. Uh, the, um... Uh, bad and, Guys. And he's Lobby, yes. CP9. What, did, what, do you, what do you think so far? We haven't gotten to the uh, final fights, obviously, or else we'd be passing his Lobby. But uh, what do you think so far of CP9? Uh... It's it's interesting because they're a unified organization of different people and obviously they're the hand of justice but character by character it's very obvious which ones of them actually think they're doing something just like Bluno who thinks yeah we're extremists but it's necessary uh -huh. compared to Lucci who is like Justice is just my excuse so I can maul people. I am at the top of the food chain, but it is frowned upon for me to just kill people. So I became an assassin for the government. Yeah, whereas, like I said, with Bluno, it's like, yeah, we kill people and support.
completely out of control and having the world be consumed by the Age of Pirates. The, the one with the most idealistic, positive attitude gets full-bodied checked and taken out in the first fucking, like, instance. Yeah. Kaku is the one I have the hardest time pinning down. Like, motivation-wise? Yeah. It's like he seems like a character who's... I think he's just doing a job. I think, like, yeah, he's like, not really personally invested in it the way either of Lucci or uh, Bluno are on the extreme scale. He's just like, this is my job. I live this way. That is okay. Yeah, it's like, I work for the government. I'm a hitman for the government. They tell me to go kill someone because they're doing something that's dangerous to the government. Almost robotic. Like, yeah. not... Not soulless and not un... No, because, like... Not poorly written, either. Before we know that they're CP9 and we see him, like, sprinting to the other end of the island to deliver news, he's clear clearly enjoying himself jumping 20 stories into the air. Right, he's not like Rob Lucci, where if Rob Lucci was doing that, floating all the way halfway through the city to, to see, uh... The going merry in its battered condition, I, he would just be scowling the entire time with no one being able to see his face. Lucci is just always in a bad mood unless he's transformed, and then he's in a good mood, but it's a sadistic good mood because he gets to hurt people now. <clears throat> Pray! Yeah. Fucking psychopath. I mean, yeah, that's sort of his thing, is that he is, as the old early 2000s internet memes go a twisty fucking cycle path <laughs> and then there's a uh, cauliflower who just wants I, she, she wants a payout for sexual harassment that's that's her motivation she is nah not nah, she only does that to uh captain broken jaw didn't she do that to iceberg a couple times i don't think she ever accused him no, she actually respected him, like, despite the fact that they were spying on him. Hmm. I think Caulifla is there for the paycheck, though. Almost definitely. <laughs> or Caulifla, that's... That's... Yeah, Caulifla. It's a one-letter difference. Yeah. That, that, that tricky L. I've uh, been talking about uh, One Piece for a while. Um, Let me... Check the do, 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 do. okay. Wow. Uh, so let's switch gears wow. and let me do a quick <laughs> gears. That was not on purpose. <laughs> Man, I didn't even get to talk about the fact that uh, Water Seven introduces my favorite straw hat, oh, Frankie. Go ahead. Go ahead and rant. We we got time. I don't have a um, I don't have a systematic format. Frankie the Flexborg. <laughs> Cyborg Kamina, <laughs> the coolest fucking dude. Sea panties. Sea panties. Anime Ace Ventura. <laughs> I haven't heard that one, but I can see it. He's got the hair. <laughs> well, he did until he started, you know, doing the upgrades later on. It's his, it's his super, like, dirt after the time skip, when he needs to do a badass moment, he, he presses his nose and goes from the wacky hairstyle back to the classic hairstyle. He's like, all right, I need to be super about this in my my hair pompadour that is literally a cannon with flintlock on top and all isn't super enough. I need to go back to the, the Frankie OG. Yeah, and I love that he's like, he's this goofy idiot type character who dances when serious things are happening because he's not directly being 
prevented from doing so or physically engaged. But at the same time, it's like he's the character that was a stone-cold gang leader for years. Life and is... he can do the rawest shit at the drop of a hat. Life is a movie for Frankie until he's in it, and then it's a gang war. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. He'll sit on the sidelines and cheerlead for the hero uh, in any perspective. If he might see one of his friends as the bad guy, and the actual bad guy is the hero in his perspective, he will sit there and cheerlead for them, much to the dismay of the Straw Hats. Like, like a fucking... Like like someone watching a show or a movie, and but then like they they bring him into it, and then he he's all of a sudden the godfather of of anime shipwrights who who is going to fuck you up now because you've brought me into it. Him just grabbing Bluno's face and lifting him was the <laughs> rawest shit. Oh, that's fine. You guys are superhuman. Um, you did all that training. Yeah, I worked on my body. Literally. Yeah, not at the gym. In the scrapyard. How do you lift? <laughs> you lift like a man? That's cute. I lift like a crane. There's also the fact that he's powered by cola, which honestly relatable. Yeah, yeah, to, yeah, you go <laughs> through a lot of cola. I, I do. Alright. I have an addiction. <laughs> We, you should get personally sponsored by your favorite co uh, cola. <laughs> I could. And bring uh, it to the show. Very quickly before we swap off, this is also the arc where we get the good, the good deep emotional backstory about Robin, and they secure her place as a straw hat and not someone who's just tagging along. Oh yeah, we are halfway through. That is exactly where we are. We are halfway through her backstory. Yeah. Oh man, second half. Um, with with the Buster call. Oh, mm, can get, get get the Kleenex ready. It's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> yeah. Okay, now I'll stop interrupting. All right. So, uh, this is a bit spoiler territory to Joey because he has not started Fire Force at la, all. La, 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 la. He just put his fingers in his uh, in his ears. But uh, quick quick notes. Um, we actually met the fifth pillar, crazy fire thief girl whose name escapes me. Hey. Background noise, man. Sorry. Uh, crazy fire thief lady, whose name escapes me. Um, there's a thing I usually judge in an anime, and that is the pink useless bitch. It started for me with Sakura Haruno of Naruto, and then it spread out to other anime. Um, what's the um? What's the psychotic love kill stabby girl with what? pink hair whose y name escapes You know Gasai from uh, Future Diary? Another famous pink bitch, yes. Um, the, the weird thing though, there, though, is that she's not useless. She's just. I know crazy. to the grand plot of things, she's not useless. She's the, she's the secondary character. Yeah. I know, but. She's also, fucking useless. No, she's not. The plot is that it's a death game, and she has the highest kill count of anyone in the show. She's the least useless character there. If this isn't a she's death game... She's just not likable. If this... That's... I guess that's my uh, my term in useless, then. God. Not but Sakura likable. is likable. She just doesn't do a lot. Is she? 
Before Shaputin, is she? Okay, before Shaputin, no, but realistically, it's a by whole second anime. Yes, it's by a time volume, Shaputin is more of the story than pre-time skip. And even then, she's useless unless she's in the middle of decking something in the face or healing someone. You have no other tricks. You're, you're, yes, you're a medical ninja, but, you, like, what happened to that thing where you, uh, you were good at dispelling genjutsu, like, when you were all academy students? Like, that you just yeah, dropped that Yeah, because Inner Sakura was not just a gag, it was an actual second personality. Yeah. Anyway, Fire Force, um, we, we uh, I did a tangent on useless pink bitches, that's gonna be my terminology for that. Uh, um. UPBs. <laughs> We met Chiron, I hope I'm saying that right. The, um, the bad guy who just doesn't fucking move. Um, no matter what attack gets sent his way, he does not fucking move. Shinra did, um, a couple of... Dab. He, uh, did a couple of launching kicks at the man that would, that would normally move anyone. Like, high-velocity kicks at, like... Mach 3 or what the fuck ever and the man just sits there and takes it like a fucking DBZ villain goes is that all you got and then you see the look on Shinra's face as you know his leg gets grabbed and he gets Loki'd and, and the, the bad guy is Hulk like it was it was actually kind of devastating it, it was the introduction to the fight and the real fight is episode 4 so thank god but uh no this this man needs to be moved he, he, we cannot let him remain the, the immovable object. We, um, saw Captain Obi talking to the fire chief, who doesn't really seem like a fire chief. He seems more like a godfather without the hat and without the bodyguards. He is very, he has a very gangster persona to him. Um, I wanted to, uh, uh talk about the author... Okubo and his um his tendencies to make black guys in anime and make them amazing. Um, like I said, Chiron, the bad guy. I really hope I'm saying that right. Uh, the the immovable bad guy who uh I think has some sort of just boom power. I had uh they haven't really explained his power yet, and if they have, I forgot. I'm sorry. I'm only human. Or, um, from Soul Leader, something Joey has watched, um, Sid, the zombie teacher, or Killick, the guy with the, uh, pot of fire and the pot of lightning gauntlets. Mm. Um, Atsushi Okubo has a very, uh, high tendency of most mangaka to make, um, even if they're side characters, uh, black guys with very amazing, um, personalities and powers, so that's, um, just a side note, I've noticed that I wanted to, um... I know he's probably not listening to this random ass podcast from America, but uh, I appreciate that as a as as a self-proclaimed awesome black guy myself. Um, and um, uh, quick on another side note on Fire Force, I've um, I don't know if I it's been this way and I haven't picked up on it, but here in episode three of season two, I've noticed that the first pillar does not really seem to be aligned with the bad guys. She appears to be her own party of just complete and utter chaos and 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 bullshit lovery. 
she does not want the new world order. She does not want stability. She just wants everything to burn and ha 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 ha. So, uh, yeah, though that's that's the quick notes. I'm I, I'd go more into depth, but we have uh, more things to talk about. And he, he, like I said, my guest host has never seen Fire Force. I just want to catch the people up who might be listening from the last episode. Now, um, you say episode three came out. Is this a new season? Yes. It, okay. Season two, episode three. Okay, because I was pretty sure the first season came out and went all the way through last year? Yes. Yeah, okay. It's a summer anime, new season, of course. All right. Uh, that is the anime on my bullet point list, so let's go to video games. Uh, earlier, I not on the podcast, I was asking Joey in life, earlier in life, I was asking Joey about Death Stranding, because I was uh, over the sho- shoulder shadowing him as he played, and he was trying to explain what the fuck BTs were, and had their relevance to the overall plot of Death Stranding, and I basically shut him up in the first two sentences and told him to save it for the podcast. So, as someone who just talked about something you have no idea about, it's, it's now my turn to be the listener. Okay, well, uh, Death Stranding came out, was it last year or the year before? It came out on PS4. I think it was 2019. Yeah, it's the newest Hideo Kojima game. You know, the Metal Gear Solid guy, everyone knows Kojima. Snake! Yep. And uh, it, was, it was big news then, and it's big news again, because the PC port came out on the 14th, a week ago. Well, a week and a day. About a week ago. A week and a day. That's what I should keep my schedule to, because that's, uh, that's kind of what I've been doing. Uh, and I'm not going to get into the whole plot, because it's a Kojima plot. It's very confusing. Confusing, not, not weird, just, and lengthy. Yeah, confusing, weird, and lengthy. Title of, uh, title of someone's sex tape. <laughs> It's, it's very fun, and it's very interesting, and it's very unique, and even if you didn't know he was the guy who made it, if you were aware of the fact that Hideo Kojima exists, you would be able to tell he made this It game. seems like something he'd made. It's like, it is! <laughs> but the short version of uh, what I was going to explain to Darius is that Death Stranding, the game, is named for the Death Stranding, the world-changing event that caused the end of the world in the game world. Mm-hmm. And the way that works is... There are four divisions between life and death. There's the living world, where living things are. Mm -hmm. There's the beach. This is the most complex thing. Uh, The beach is essentially... You know that cliche about seeing your life flash before your eyes when you die? Right. Essentially, every living human has a beach that they are connected to, and it's their personal path made of their experiences that they go through and re-experience so that they can let go of life when they die so that they can pass on. You think that has anything to do with the, uh, Jesus walks on the beach with me thing? That, yeah, it could be. Kojima loves obscure references like that. Hmm. Then there's the seam. The seam is essentially the nothing space that cannot be crossed between life and the afterlife. And then there's the afterlife. The Death Stranding broke it. All four of them are sandwiched together. The seam, is it the outer ring or is it the inner ring and then there's the afterlife? The afterlife is on the very outside if this was a series of circles. 
So the scene cannot be crossed unless you die. Yeah, you go from being alive to the, to beach, the beach. You, and then you cross through the uh, seam to into the afterlife. the afterlife. Okay, and you cannot it. come back through. It is it is the pearl it is the pearly gates and then and then the gates of hell. And if you are alive, there are ways to get to the beach temporarily, but mm-hmm. you cannot go through the seam. So like a like a near death experience. Yeah. Okay. That's actually a major plot point. In fact. Okay. Uh. And what the Death Stranding did was it slammed them all together. And one of the main threats in the game is these things called BTs. And uh, as... uh, What do you go by on this podcast? Antihero. You've already said my name, but it's okay. Antihero. Sorry about that. Uh, It said, oh, so they're basically ghosts? And it's kind of like that. See, what it is is due to this fucked up sandwiching... Things that have been in the afterlife, people who have been in the afterlife got forcefully slammed back into the living world, and they are lost, they're confused, because souls aren't equipped with the senses of a living being. They can feel the presence of other human souls and life, so they desperately reach out and grab out at any living humans they can find. Mm-hmm. But that's, I'm guessing that's dangerous to the living human. Yes, because if a BT grabs you, it will attempt to drag you through with it, and you'll get slammed up against the seam and bounce back and take a part of the seam with you, which causes what is called a void out, where a large section of the real world just ceases. So it's like if antimatter touched matter. Yes, literally. The particles released during a void out are antimatter. This is explicit in game. It okay. is antimatter. And the human that got pulled down also gets trans uh, transformed into a BT and mm. just makes the problem worse. Okay. And there's a lot more to the story with the rebuilding the world, the whole overall moral of bringing people together and making connections and that's also reflected in the bts because they're lost and confused and angry and scared due to being thrown out of the afterlife and back into the world and their first core instinct is to find someone to latch on to mm-hmm. interesting and then the then the, the the delivery man and the baby aspect what would I just, as someone watching from the outside in, what is with the baby? Oh, boy. See, oh God. that's what a have I thing done? that is so complicated that the characters in the story who use them don't know how they work. They? See, Multiple yeah. babies? Yeah, they're called BBs. Beach babies. And the way... Uh, I can't really say the way they work because they were first being researched and developed before the Death Stranding and then the Death Stranding caused all data on them to be lost. But they're made use of because they just happen to be able to see BTs. Hmm. BTs are invisible to the living and unless you have a condition called dooms, which is another plot thread entirely. <laughs> you can't even feel them coming. 
The first void out was just someone in a hospital looking up past a patient and saying, what the hell is that? It's looking at me. And then a whole city goes blank due to a void out. Oh! So, BBs, the little baby in the jar, Uh they can see, physically see, BTs. And while you're hooked up to the BB, they can let you tell where the BTs are so you can avoid them, prevent void outs. Prevent... How do they let you know? That's all I wanted. Since they're babies, do they, do they cry? Do they do they speak? Uh, are they psychic? They cry at you, okay. but they're also kind of like telekinetic, and that's how they can see the BTs. Hmm. It's literally everything I've said so far is a spoiler about the game, so sorry about that. that that's but... fine. I was thinking I was thinking something weirder, like the baby would look up at you and like in some James Earl Jones would like, there's a BT. No, no. It's hooked up to the Odradec scanner that you have. I don't know what Odradec means. That's just the name they gave it. <laughs> Good thing you said that. I was smooth about to ask you. It's just this little scanner on your shoulder that tells you uh, how hard is this terrain to walk on, and, uh, hey, someone dropped their package over here, go retrieve it for them. Hmm. Uh, the BB is hooked up to you and the Odradek. You ping with so the Odradek. So it's your, it's your, it's your canon, it's your canonic HUD. Yeah, and you okay. ping with the Odradek, and it makes the BBs visible as a silhouette for a second. Or, the BTs. The BTs. Yes, the BB is the baby. And, uh, BBs, so far as we know, the reason they can see the BTs is because they're sort of blurred on whether they're alive or not, because the very dark and kind of fucked up way they're made is that... uh, Are they coma babies? uh, They are born to mothers who are essentially dead. They're, they're stillborns. No, they aren't stillborn. They're born. The mom is dead while pregnant. Oh. And kept alive on support until the baby reaches 28 weeks, at which point they're cesarean and then used to make a BB. Because they never were really born, so they were never really alive. But they are alive because they didn't die but their mom was dead, so they've been attached to death, and now the apparatus that has you carrying them on your chest is like an umbilical cord, basically, except manufactured, and now, due to their not-alive, not-deadness, you share in their ability to see the beach. I have two more questions, and you have to answer the second one first. Is there DLC or a sequel planned? And how much cocaine do you think Kojima does daily? None. He's too busy smelling Mads Mikkelsen. And no, no DLC or sequels. Huh. And I know you've beaten this game. I have. And, uh, and the way you speak of it, you speak of it like there's going to be a sequel. We don't know. And like that, that infuriates me now, that you've seen the ending. It's been a year. And it's been a year, and there's a lot of separate details that each individually are very complex mm-hmm. that you have to pull together to make the whole plot. Hmm. The shortest version would be to explain the very ending. Hmm. So, 
I mean, again, everything I've said so far has been a major spoiler, so at this point it's your fault for still being here. Um, every single major extinction event around that, that has happened on Earth, the Precambrian extinction, the dinosaur extinction, there was some other extinction event. This is an extinction event. Mm -hmm. But it turns out that extinction events are caused by the universe itself through the summoning of what is known as an extinction entity. And this happens to prevent life from stagnating. If a single type of life is dominating the world for too long, and humans have been around for, you know, 8,000 years now, yeah. without evolving at all, mm -hmm. the universe summons an extinction entity it slams life back to its basics and lets it restart. Hmm. Main character Sam's sister, Amelie, is the extinction entity now, but you don't know that until the very end. Hmm. And it's fucked up because this is the first time the extinction entity has been a fully sentient, sapient species. A human. And she's like... I have to do this because it's the universe itself made me for this. But she I don't knows? want to. Yes. But I don't want to do this because it's cruel and it hurts. But I have to because literally the voice of the universe is saying I have to. Can and she And it's resist? even worse because what? She's hearing the voice of the universe, but can she resist? Is it like mind control where she just doesn't want to, but she has to, like she doesn't have no, any willpower? No, no. See, because eventually she decided that she did want to, because it's the best way. Mm -hmm. I forget what the best way for, but the fucked up part is that throughout the game you're helping build the chiral network to bring people together. Right. This was her plan, because this will be the extinction end event the last extinction event because she's just going to void out the entire earth using the chiral network so she's going to use the network and bring the entire planet to the seam and then void it all out yes because the true state of the universe of peace is silence and nothingness Now, obviously, that doesn't happen. You do stop that from happening. Right. By, again, making connections with people. This is the core theme of the game. You appeal to her mm -hmm. because she's an extinction entity, but she's human. Mm -hmm. And she's your sister. And you're like, you know you don't have to do this even if you were made for it because that's look at you having not done it yet anyway free will yeah you're not a comet you're a person yeah you don't have to just soar in a direction yeah hmm Gameplay-wise, it gets ragged on a lot for being Mailman Simulator or Quop, but with more steps. <laughs> but there's a lot more to it. The very start of the game, it's kind of rough because you've got 
a set amount that you can carry your stamina and your balance mm-hmm. but as you complete deliveries you get like ranks in uh how big was the delivery how fast did you deliver it how good was the condition and as that ranks up you actually gain stats you become able to carry more your balance just inherently gets better and later you get motorcycles actual fucking delivery vans uh you get a fucking power lifter suit like 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 Ripley killing alien power lifter? Yeah, yeah. Not like a suit of power armor like Iron Man. Like you've got a, a metal skeleton frame of pistons around you. Gotcha. Yeah, and there's three types of that too. There's a speed suit that lets you run really fast but only lets you carry a little bit more. There's mm-hmm. a power suit that like dramatically improves your carry weight and your balance. And there's one that's designed for uh, shitty terrain because it's got, like, clawed feet and uh, extra apparatus around the legs. And you use that one in mountains mostly because during the later, more difficult areas of the game, you're making deliveries in uh, steep, snowy mountains and shit. It's crazy. And the environments are cool. There is combat in the game. And, in fact, there's four difficulties... Uh, there's the BTs, which later you gain the ability to banish back to the afterlife. And something that gets mocked about the game is the likes system. They took the idea of likes from social media and just broke it down to its bare psychological essential. You get that feeling of gratification and accomplishment from receiving a like. So those are part of the chiral network now. You make your deliveries, you receive likes, you feel good about yourself. Pat on the back. Banishing a BT causes the BT to give you a like. They want to be sent back. They don't want to be stuck here on Earth. Right. And uh, Sam is a repatriate. This is another one of those... Actually, this is the least complicated thing. A repatriate is someone who goes through the seam as a step... And they can just choose to come back. Hmm. So when he dies, he has to literally say, okay, I'm done. I want to be dead in order for it to actually kill him. Otherwise, he can just get back up. Huh. Yeah. And uh, repatriates actually uh, cellularly are able to repel BTs. And you've got like uh, these little, they're called EX grenades, but they're more of bodily fluids in a vial. You huck them at BTs, it makes them freak out and back away from you. And you have a gun that fires bullets made of your blood, which, yes, causes you to lose blood and it hurts you, but it forcibly banishes the BTs. Also, there are enemies called mules, which are humans who have this condition where they become addicted to the gratification Mm -hmm. of completing their deliveries, and they will run your ass down so they can steal your cargo so they can deliver it. And you have wait, to... Wait, 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 So they're highwaymen and TikTok bots all in one. Yeah. And you have to <laughs> physically defend yourself against them using non-lethal or lethal means. That's amazing. Pre- lethal is significantly easier, but if you wipe out a camp of these guys, it's no longer a camp of mules. It is a BT zone. Oh. So you want to knock them out or sneak past them. And also But then you can just banish the BTs? You can, but BT zones just make more BTs. 
Oh. Yeah, you cannot clean out an area of BTs. Oh. And then there's the terrorists. <laughs> but the, the, the plot is that you're rebuilding America after the end by forming the chiral network and bringing people together, mm -hmm. reforming a country instead of scattered communities. Obviously, people... There are people that are against it. There are terrorists. One of the terrorists is the main bad guy. Mm -hmm. And you fight them. And then there's, like, weird shit. Yeah. The stuff I've said so far isn't the weird shit. Liar. <laughs> there, there are higher-level BTs, which are just, like, seam goop in the shape of monsters. Oh. Yeah. They're pretty fucked. And you get to fight those. Alright, so Final Gear Shift, this episode is already longer than the first episode. I like it. It's uh, just a weird experience. <laughs> and I've talked more than you, which is weird, because I'm the guest. It is an interview, But so. you gave me two topics. So. Yeah, I, I did. Um, and I'm, I'm partially giving you a third. Oh, shit. Um, uh, I guess this is just going to be my uh, my format. Anime, ga uh, video games, and then D&D, &D, so... Um, D&D. I, I'm dynamite. I DM for a campaign, my first campaign. I might have mentioned that in the first episode. And Joey is one of the characters in said campaign. So um, t tell us a little bit about your character and your experience so far. Okay, well, I'm uh, my character is Garrick Pebbleney, a uh, halfling bard. And... Uh, I know uh, people like riff on bards because they're the I roll to seduce the monster class, but there's so much more you can do with bards that's so like... Obviously vicious mockery is a must take because it's hilarious to insult someone so hard that it hurts, <laughs> but bards have a lot of really interesting like mental manipulation type skills. Right. Like, they're like warlocks without having an evil god as a patron because like you can charm person or you have the magic disguise abilities uh and and as a dm i know uh, in the future you have the option for kill word uh, yeah power word kill mm -hmm. that's that's just nasty uh i believe warlocks can also use power word kill but the manner through with which it's channeled is different. Like, right. with bards, their power and mastery of speech is just that good, whereas with the warlock, they're just channeling dark energy through their speech. Right. Mm, excuse me. But, yeah, uh, our adventure so far has been very fun. Our group is, uh, other than me, all newbies. This is brand new for everyone. Everyone except for Garrick Pebbleney is new, including yeah. the DM. And they, uh, th there's, there's been a bit of uh, uh, knocking elbows together sometimes. Friction. Yeah, friction. There we go. I was going to say banter, but banter is good. Right. We're having banter right now, you fucking idiot. Oh? <laughs> See there, banter. Uh, take one d four psychic damage. Um, <laughs> I'm the DM. How do I roll for psychic damage? It's like everyone in the you, universe. You have infinite health. It doesn't matter what you roll. Everyone in the universe that isn't the adventuring party takes one d four psychic damage. Uh, that didn't kill anything, but everyone's got a headache now. <laughs> and um, for for being brand new, uh. 
anti-hero here. He's a pretty good DM, uh, following a pre-built uh, campaign, but... Uh, the Dragon of well. Ice Spire Peak. Yep, uh, is doing a good job of uh, attempting to lead the party forward through the story, uh, despite our frictions and our uh, arguments about uh, how we should go about things. Mm -hmm. And, um... Oh, sorry. I was uh, rocking the table. It's okay. No, it isn't. I will commit Sudoku now. But, um... There's a puzzle-free zone. I'm going to ask to ask you to leave. Don't do that, actually. We're still recording. <laughs> Just You hear the door open and close, and then I start talking again because I haven't actually left. Uh, no, what was I saying before I distracted myself? I'm it's sorry about the, that. The, this current campaign. Yeah, the current campaign. Uh, we've been having a pretty good time so far. Okay. I mean, that's, that's the gist of it. Uh, of the three campaigns I've been in, I haven't managed to finish any of them just due to life not like me abandoning them or whatever it just didn't get done the right. last two were while anti-hero and i were living together up in wisconsin mm -hmm. and i was running those two concurrently with the same group it's just one person was dming one of the stories another was dming the other and we ended up moving away before either of those campaigns finished i wouldn't mind doing that but and not being a forever dm i wouldn't mind actually yeah having a character. yeah i could try dming i've been in three campaigns and not once is it DM and Woo! twice as a halfling. Yeah, I have so many adventure books that I haven't read that you could just take control over. I will recommend don't make your character just you because that gets really boring really fast. It's like, oh, well, I personally would... Uh, Joey, I'm a story writer. I know how to make characters. <laughs> I would hit him with a stick. I already have my character made for the first campaign I'm going to be in. Exciting. He is a uh, dragonborn barbarian by the name of Jet Drogo. He is a um. Drogo. He is a. Uh, he's after I multiclass. I think I'm going to make him a barbarian rogue. Ooh, exciting! And he sneaks up behind you and hits you with a battle axe. Yeah, basically, he's going to have two hand axes, one in each hand, and um, in true barbarian nature. He is going to challenge everyone and shout when he's not being the stoic emo quiet guy in the corner. Ah, I see. So so he'll basically be in the corner being Sasuke Uchiha, and then he'll just flip gears out of nowhere and become enraged Kamina. Ah, I've developed a propensity for uh, bombastic uh, chipper characters, which is probably why I've had two halflings out of three campaigns, because they're the class that fits that stereotype. We're happy! Race. We're feeling glad! Yeah. Not class, race. Class is different. Class is barred. Ah, uh, but, um... um I'm, I'm glad the uh, veteran of my campaign thinks that uh, it's going smoothly despite friction that's um good to hear on oh i didn't end. say smoothly i said well oh <laughs> oh that's you, a... you have your own interesting way of doing things that's unique and it's no two dms dm the same way right unless they're doing the, the very strict by the book way but a lot of people develop past playing that way because it's too restrictive on the party mm -hmm. and it ends up being less fun but yeah no two dms are the same and your your personal it's a touch, personality thing yeah your personal touch is very enjoyable Woo. okay <laughs> 
Um, that would be all of our bullet points, our talking points for this episode, so I guess this is where we sign off. Uh, possibly, my outro music has already been playing. You may never know. Just like episode one, it just starts whenever the fuck it starts. I am Antihero, your host. And with me has been my roommate, Joey. Hi. Or, I should say, bye. And bye, and this has been the second episode, once again, of the Awesome Sauce Podcast. We went for an actual hour. We did. For an actual actual hour in the first episode, which is 25 minutes. So, yay, guest hosts. Wow. It seems that we manage uh, 25 minutes per person. <laughs> yeah, that is the quota. Twenty-five minute per person. That—that's the podcast. We're, we're gonna—we're gonna get a six-man group together, and the podcast gonna last for uh, two and a half hours. Christ. It's gonna be unbearable. Oh, that—that'll be the marathon episode. <laughs> uh, see you later, guys. Hi, everyone. Glad you're still enjoying the music. I wanted to apologize for the technical difficulty right before the 16-minute mark. That was very uncool. Uh, I will work better to make sure these damn machines of mine cooperate so you get a very, very efficient podcast.